Well, we've probably all heard the term uh, dress for success, right? And uh, what's really interesting this week, I was, I was doing some looking and, and finding out that actually this whole idea of dressing for success, it's um, actually supported by several studies that have been done out there. There was one study that was done that showed that in a lab, the people who wore a white lab coat, that they actually made a lot less mistakes than those who didn't wear a white lab coat, interestingly. Also found out that um, among athletes, that those who wore the color red could actually lift more weight than those who wore the color blue. So from now on, when I go to the gym, I'm going to put on a red shirt to see if I can lift some more weight. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about how to dress for success in the church, but probably not in the way that you think about it. You know, I, I remember the first church that uh, I pastored, and in this particular church, they required me to wear a coat and tie every week to church. And maybe some of you have been in churches where that's kind of the custom, right, that you wear your Sunday best to church. But that's not the kind of dress that we're going to be talking about this morning. You know, frankly, I don't think God cares exactly what we wear to worship. As long as it's not immodest, as long as it doesn't unnecessarily call attention to ourselves, God's a lot more concerned with our heart. He's concerned more about how we're going to dress spiritually, and that's what we're going to be talking about together this morning. Now, the book of Colossians that we've been studying through, it's like a lot of Paul's letters. He begins the, the letter talking about doctrine. And Ryan's done a great job of, of, of kind of taking us through that first section of the book of Colossians over the last five weeks. And, and there we've seen that if we get Jesus right, that we get everything else right. We've seen that, that, that Jesus is, uh, that he's superior, he's supreme over all his creation. He's the head of the church. And if we put Jesus in his proper place, then, then chances are we're going to get everything else right too. Well, the second part of the letter, the part that we're going to begin on today, it, it, it takes that doctrine and it shows here's how you can apply that in a really practical way in your life. Now, Ryan, as we've been going through this Rooted series, he's done a good job in the first couple of chapters taken and, and given us some practical applications that we can make. But we're going to find as we get to this section that it's even more practical for us. It's been really kind of strange for me to not preach for five weeks in a row. I haven't done that since I've been a pastor. So, so it's been kind of strange to get back into this and and I've been, so I've been looking at this passage for a while, and as I've done that, I've noticed there's a couple of things about this passage that I think will really help us to begin to understand it better. The first thing that, that I would note here is that there are nine Greek imperatives, or nine commands in this section. If you look at it in the underlying Greek, and depending on your English translation, it might look like nine or ten commands, but there's actually nine of them in the Greek. And... Uh, it just goes to point out that we're in a, in a section that's really practical. It's full of commands for us. And uh, Ryan and I have been joking for the last couple of weeks that that means that I had to do a nine-point sermon this morning because there's nine commands there, but I'm not going to subject you to that this morning. But it is important to note that, and we'll see that as we go through the passage. The other thing I want to call your attention to here is kind of the structure of the passage because it's going to be really important in helping us to understand what Paul's writing about here. We're going to look at kind of a big chunk of Scripture here this morning. And so we won't have time to get bogged down in all the details here. And I think sometimes that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, we could easily spend 
three or four or five weeks on these 17 verses. There's more than enough there. But I want to kind of step back and take a big picture look and see what we can learn from it this morning. So, so, so that's what we're going to do. But here's kind of the structure. He begins in verses 1 through 4 with this admonition to set our minds on the things above and not on the things of earth. That's kind of the general principle here. And then, then as he continues, he's going to give us some information about how we do that. And Paul, beginning in verse 5, he's going to use one of his favorite metaphors that he likes to use in the Scripture. He's going to talk about, as I just did with the kids, about taking some things off and putting some things on. So in verses 5 through 11, he's going to talk about how that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Christ, there's some things in our life that we need to take off. But it's not enough to just take those things off. In verses 12 through 17, he's going to talk about here's some things that you need to put on. And so what we're going to do, we're going to kind of just work through this passage section by section together this morning. We'll look at each one of those sections and, and see what we can draw out of it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to, uh, to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading this morning in verse 1. We'll look at the first four verses here right now. Paul writes this, If then you have been raised with Christ, and this word, the word if that's here, it's a, a critical word. We've seen this before in the book of Colossians. It's, it's what in Greek is called a first-class condition. And you could almost translate it since because Paul is assuming here that, that his readers have done what he's about to say. So he writes this, If then, or you could translate it since then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So what we see here is he, he lays out really the main idea that he's going to talk about here. That once we become followers of Jesus Christ, that we're to set our mind on things above, not on things here in earth. And we're reminded here that that at the very moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus transforms us. He changes us into, into new creatures. I love the way that Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians. He, he writes this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's essentially what Paul is saying here again. He puts it in a little different words, but he's saying the same thing. He's saying that, that at some point in our lives, when we die to self, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that he says that we're raised up with Christ. And we, we now move from, from merely citizenship into this world till we have dual citizenship, but our primary citizenship is no longer here on earth. It's in heaven with Jesus, right? In another one of his letters, the letter to the church at Philippi, Paul writes this. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means because our primary citizenship is now in heaven, Paul says here that we're to set our mind on the things that are above, the things that belong to Christ, and not on the things that are here on earth. But how do we do that? That's really what Paul's going to write about in the rest of this passage. And he's going to use, as I said before, as one of his favorite metaphors. He says there's some things that you need to take off, and there's some things that you need to put on. But before we kind of jump into those next two sections, what I want to do is to give you the big idea that we're going to be 
looking at and developing today. Because I want you to keep that in mind as we read these, new sec- these next two sections. And here's the idea. To be rooted in Christ, I must dress in a manner that is consistent with who I am in Jesus. To be rooted in Christ, I need to dress in a manner that's consistent with who Jesus has made me to be, in, in a manner that's consistent with this new creation that he's made me to be. And Paul's going to begin here by saying that the first thing you have to do in order to do that are there are some things that you have to take off. So go ahead and follow along with me as I continue reading here in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Now I'm going to tell you right off the bat that, that probably the most important word in this section is the word therefore. Because what Paul is making really clear here is that that we don't become new creatures by taking off the old and putting on the new, that we do that in response to what Jesus has already done for us. He begins here by saying that it's Christ who has raised us up the moment that we put our faith in Him. However, because of that, we do need to make some changes in our life. We do need to take some actions, the ones he lists here. We need to take some things off. And we need to put some other things on, as we'll see in just a moment. And so Paul gives us, he gives us here these two lists of things that we're to take off. Two lists of five. And the lists are a little bit different. The first list is what I would call sins of the flesh. He he focuses primarily there on these sexual sins. And what he says is that you need to take these things off. Now, All sin has the possibility of impacting other people, right? It doesn't just affect me, but but this first list of five seems to be things that that are a little more personal. Yes, they can impact other people, but they're, they're really this desire to satisfy my own flesh. He says you need to take those off. Now, these two lists of five doesn't mean these are the only thing. We're going to see there's another list of five here in a moment, too, and And what Paul's doing, he's just giving us some examples. He's not saying these are the only five you need to take off, but he's he's saying if you set your mind on the earth, these are the kind of things that are going to characterize your life, and you need to get rid of them. And so the first list of five are what I would call these kind of fleshly desires. The second list of five have to do more with how we respond to other people. The way that when, when, when someone, we have a conflict, the way that we tend to lash out, that we do it with anger and with wrath and with malice. And so these are, these are sins where the, the idea that the circle of influence is much bigger than the first one because they impact not only us, but they impact the entire body of Christ. And he's saying you need to get rid of those things as well because they impact 
unity within the body. And just to make sure we understand that, what does he do? He follows it up with another command. Do not lie to one another. And then he goes on to point out how Jesus came to abolish all the barriers that keep us apart. So that in Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither Gentile or Jew. There's nothing that separates us. He says we're all one in Jesus Christ. And so you need to put off these things that are going to separate us from each other. But it's not enough to just put those things off. We have to put something on, right? If you were to go home and get undressed, you're not going to go out in the public without putting something else on, I hope. And so we have to put some things on. So, so let's pick up here in, uh, in verse 12. And he's going to tell us the things that we need to put on. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he says, now you've taken all this off. Here are some things that you need to put on. And he has what? Another list of five. And again, these five are not the only things that we're supposed to do, but that they're kind of a picture. Here are some things that ought to characterize your life when you set your mind on things above. When Jesus comes and he makes you into this new creation, this is what your life should look like. So put these things on. He gives us this list. But I think you could really summarize really this whole section in verse 14. Verse 14 is, I think, really the key here to the whole thing. He says, and above all, put on what? Love. Because that binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so what he's saying here is that, that if you're a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ that, and you set your mind on things above, then the thing that ought to characterize you is that you ought to love other people. And so when people outside the church look at us, that ought to be what they see. They ought to see that we love one another. That ought to be the primary characteristic. So this section is, is a lot about putting on the things that promote unity within the body of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do we put on these things? How do we put off the things that, that we need to get rid of? Fortunately for us, Paul ends this section with some really practical advice. There's, there's three things he's going to teach us here about how to make sure that we dress for success in the church in a spiritual way. Here's the first thing that I think we need to do. We need to live based on what I know and not on what I feel. I, I need to live based on what I know and not what I feel. Most of you know that, that I've refereed high school basketball and volleyball for quite a while. And one of the things that I've learned is that the best officials are the ones that know the rules, number one, and then they apply them equally 
to both teams. And they do that the very best that they can based on what they see. And, and we don't always see everything. I mean, you can't, you know, and you're an official, you can't watch all the players on the court at one time. But they do it without letting emotion drive them or guide them. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That, that verb rule there, it's an interesting word. It actually comes from a Greek word that described an umpire or an official in the, the sporting events that were really popular in the ancient Greek culture. And the idea here is that these, these umpires, these officials, they would decide things based on objective standards, not based on their emotions. And that's really what he's telling us to do here. You know, there, there are going to be conflicts in life, right? We can't avoid them. But how are we going to deal with them? Are we going to deal with them based on our emotions? That's what he warned us about back in verse 8. Remember that list of five things? If we're going to respond based on our emotions, we're going to do it with malice and anger and wrath. And that's the way, frankly, most of us are going to tend to respond naturally. But he says here, don't respond naturally. He says, do it in a supernatural way. Do it based on what you know. Do it based on the peace of Christ. So exactly what is the peace of Christ here? Now, unfortunately, I think some people have taken this passage out of context and they said, well, the peace of Christ means that when you're trying to find God's will in your life, if you just have peace in your heart, then that means it's probably God's will. Now, there are a couple of other places in the Scripture where that's kind of suggested that that might be one factor in trying to decide God's will. Not the only one, but it might be one factor. But that's not at all what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about some kind of subjective inner peace. What he's talking about is the objective peace of Jesus Christ, the peace that he established when he died on the cross to make it possible for us to have peace with God and to have peace with each other. That's what he's writing about in this passage. He says, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he made it possible for your sins to be covered so that you could have peace with God. But he also broke down all the barriers that separate us from other people and made it possible for us to have peace with other people as well. And what we have to do when we get into a situation where there might be some conflict is that we have to make a choice. Am I going to respond based on my emotion? Or am I going to respond based on the truth that Jesus Christ has made it possible for me to have peace with God and peace with other people? Or maybe I could put it this way, that when those situations come, I am going to choose the unity of the body of Christ over my own personal preferences and my own personal desires. That's what he's talking about there. That's how we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. The second thing he tells us here is that we need to learn to be grateful people. We need to be a grateful person. We have a lot of uh, first world problems, don't we? We talk about this. We talked about this on, on Monday. I, I, I can still remember one of the ones that kind of sticks in my mind is when the whole COVID thing started and we began to wear masks. I got mad because my iPhone wouldn't recognize my face. Now, that's a first world problem, right? Yeah, they eventually fixed that, I guess. But that's a first world problem. 
And this week, I mean, as I've watched the the, the images coming in from the Ukraine, it's been kind of a wake-up call for me and maybe for some of you too, right? For us to recognize just how how good we have it in this country, even, even the poorest among us, we have it really pretty easy compared to the rest of the world. And it's not surprised here that, that Paul would give us this command to be thankful, to be grateful, because We've already seen it all throughout the letter, and we're going to see it again in this letter. It's one of the things he focuses on over and and over and over again. And I don't really need to sit up here for the next 20 minutes and give you 18 different ways to be thankful. I think you guys know how to do that, but but let me just share with you a couple of things that you might want to consider. Number one, just say take some time during your day, every day, to just sit down and, and tell God how grateful you are for the things in your life whatever that might be, and not just the physical things, not just the food, not just the place you have to live, not just the the groceries that you have on the table. You know, I I was thinking this week, I bet you the people in the Ukraine right now, they would be happy to pay $10 a gallon for gas if they had a car that would get them out of the country. So don't just be thankful for that stuff. Be thankful for what Jesus has given you. Be thankful that that he's made you right with God. Be thankful that you can have a personal relationship with with a holy God that you can speak to him and pray to him and walk with him. Be thankful for the people that God has placed around you in your life. So be thankful. Take some time. Second thing we can do is just throughout the day when you're tempted to be angry, Choose to be thankful instead. This is another one of those weeks. I had a couple of illustrations ready to share with you this morning. And guess what, God? He has a great sense of humor. He decided to test me in those same areas. So one of the things I was going to say, well, when someone cuts you off in traffic, instead of getting mad at them, just be thankful you have a car. So guess what happened this week? More than once, somebody cut me off in traffic. And as I got ready to get angry, it's like, okay, God, I hear you. Thank you for the car that I have. Thank you for the gasoline that my tank's full. Sometimes we just have to do that. The other illustration I was going to share is what happens when you go to the grocery store and some of the aisles are empty, and then you get in a big old long line because the grocery stores don't have enough employees just like everyone else. Well, guess what happened when I went to the grocery store this week? There were some empty shelves, and when I got ready to check out, there was a big old long line. I just had to stop and say, okay, God, thank you. Thank you that you provided these groceries for me. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of doing that. And then the third thing I'd say is quit looking around at what everyone else has. I think that's the biggest thing that keeps us from being grateful is we're, we're always comparing what we have to someone else. So just be grateful. Then there's a third thing that he tells us here. If we want to dress for success that we need to do, and that is that we have to actively participate in corporate worship and ministry. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. And when I first read that, my my first inclination was, I'm just going to tell you guys like I do every week, you need to read your Bible. And you do need to read your Bible. That's a good thing, right? But what he's saying here goes a lot deeper than just reading your Bible, as important as that is. Because if you'll notice in this section, he's really moved now from the personal to the more corporate here. All the nouns, all the verbs, all the pronouns in this section, they're all plural. 
If you grew up in the South, that means every time that you see the word you in this section, just put y'all in there, and you'll understand that. He's speaking to them as a, as a corporate body. And what he's saying to them is if you want to let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, then you, you need to do that in connection with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The word dwell there, it's a, it's a compound word. It's an intensive word. It means to, to allow God's word to make a permanent residence in your life. And reading God's word, that's a, that's a great way to start. It's, a, it's the most important way to start, but it's not enough to just do that. So what does he tell us to do here? He tells us, if you want to let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, you have to gather together with other Christians. You have to sing songs together to praise Jesus together. You need to live with each other. You need to serve with each other within the body of Christ. And that as you do that, God uses all that to help us not to just have his word in our minds, but to get it into our heart and then out through our feet, through our actions. I've got to tell you that over the years, I have learned so much about putting off some things and putting on other things by just being with other people within the body of Christ. With a lot of you in this room this morning, I've learned so much about that. Yes, I'm grateful that I started with God's Word, but I'm also grateful for the things that I learned from observing you. When I, I've never learned more about, about being an encourager than from watching Susan Hawthorne. If you guys hang around with Susan Hawthorne, you're going to learn how to encourage other people because she does it all the time. I've learned so much about what it means to love your spouse through better or for worse than watching John Settlemeyer with D. Watching how he agonizes over every decision because he wants to do what's right for her and then making tremendous sacrifices in order to do that. I've learned about having compassion for people from watching Cindy. She's always involved in the lives of other people. She's praying for them, asking other people to pray for them. She's doing the things that that she can do to meet the needs in their life. You want to see someone who's a selfless servant? How about Gene Melzer? You guys all know Gene, and you know the guy will go out of his way to help anyone do just about anything. Never wants any notoriety, any recognition for it. Learn about serving God with what you have from watching Steve Jacob. You guys see some of the stuff that Steve does, but Steve will just do whatever's needed around here. Everything from repairing broken amps to uh, putting in a new valve in the kitchen to be heading up our welcome ministry, our host ministry every week, our hospitality ministry. I'm glad for the Word of God, but I'm also glad for what I've learned. And I could go on and on, and, and I'm, I don't mean to exclude anyone because there's a lot more of you in this room that I've learned stuff from. But I think that shows that's what it means to allow the Word of Christ to dwell richly in our hearts. We have to do that together. So we've seen this morning that to be rooted in Christ, I must dress in a manner that is consistent with who I am in Jesus. Or maybe to put it another way, or the way we talked about earlier, I need to dress for success. And there may be some of you here this morning who have been 
going through life and you figure the way to get right with God is that you're going to take some of the junk out of your life and get rid of it and you're going to try to replace it with some good stuff. And if you've been trying to do that, my guess is that you found that to be very frustrating. Because the fact is, God didn't create you with the ability to do that on your own. And if it hasn't been frustrating so far, it will be at some point. So why don't you try a different path? Why don't you come to Jesus and lay your life before him and say, Jesus, I trust in what you did for me on the cross. I'm going to trust totally and completely in you to change me into a new creation, and then I'm going to count on you to pour your power into my life so that I can get rid of the junk and I can pour in the good stuff. And then for the rest of you that have already made that decision, it's a matter of trusting in Jesus, of allowing him to make those changes. He's not going to do that automatically. You have to give him something to work with. But he's promised that if you'll do that, he'll pour his power into your life. I don't know how many of you have watched um, the NFL or the NBA draft from time to time. Sometimes I've done that, especially if now it's been a long time since any U of A football players have been drafted, but sometimes some basketball players get drafted. And you'll notice that when they're at the draft, when their name gets called, what do they do? They go and they put on the hat of whatever team drafted them. Now, this is really interesting because they don't get to choose which team they're going to be on, right? They can't say, well, I want to be on the, on the you know, Phoenix Suns, so I'm going to put on a Phoenix Suns hat, and then I'll be a member of the Phoenix Suns, kind of like I share with the kids this morning. They're totally dependent on someone else to choose them. And then, and only then, after they've been chosen, then what do they do? They put on the cap that represents who they now are, which team that they're now on. And I think that's a pretty good picture of what we've seen in this passage this morning. None of us came to Jesus Christ because we were good enough. We came to Him because... Apart from anything that we had in our life, he chose us. And then we put our faith in him, but even that faith was a gift from God. So we bring nothing to the table. But now that we're on Jesus' team, what he calls us to do is to dress in a way that's consistent with who he's made us to be. And he would love nothing more to do that in your life and mine. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what Jesus has already done for us. Thank you that he makes it possible to put off the old and to put on the new. My prayer, first of all, is for anyone who's never committed their life to Jesus, whether they're joining us here in person or online today. Father, would you speak to their heart right now? Would you help them to, to understand their need for a Savior and then and then would you give them the gift of faith so that they would trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. For the rest of us who've already made that decision, Father, day by day, moment by moment, would you help us to dress in a way that's consistent with who you already made us to be. And Father, thank you that you've promised that you'll pour in the power so that we can do that. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We would love